0: Welcome and good evening, everybody. We're going to have a fun night. For those who don't know me, I'm Pastor Daniel, and I get the honor and privilege of sharing with you guys tonight. I'm excited. I was going over, like, what, what, should, we, what should we talk about today? And I was just like, you know, I want to talk about when storms surround us. And it just seemed like an appropriate topic as we cross from 2020 into 2021. And I thought, you know, I think that there's a lot of people who've been, okay, I don't think there's anybody who hasn't been encountering a storm this year. If so, you live, you're a hermit, like, and you're a really good one. You're completely off the grid and unaware of everything that's happening around you. But as as I looked at this, I'm like, well, why is it that I talk to so many people and they're struggling with fear and anxiety? And in fairness, it's honestly, not without reason. There is so much going on. And on top of what's going on, there's just a really high level of uncertainty where you're like, you know what? I I can't even count on this is the problem that you have to navigate. Things are shifting and changing. And you're like, okay, they made a new rule. So I do this and they changed the rule. And then I did this and then they changed the rule again. And then they said they were changing the rule. So I scheduled something and then they changed the rule again. No, like we booked a vacation three times. We're gonna do with the kids, and every time, like just before vacation, they're like, "Change of plans." We closed it. No, and so, but I, I just understand that there's, there's been a lot of change, and there's been a lot of uncertainty, and there's been a lot of chaos. People have been uncertain about health, jobs, provision, politics, isolation. There's just been a lot going on. And as I was thinking about this, I'm like, I think this has been a rough year for everybody. And then I thought, No, no, it hasn't been a rough year for everybody. Somebody sells hand sanitizer, <laughs> and somebody else sells toilet paper. They set records this year. But for everybody else, like, it, it's just been a rough year. And, and there's been times that they've just felt surrounded. And, and I was like, you know, as I get ready to do this, everybody would like me to say, here is the secret recipe, the formula, the verse to stand on for sunshine and roses. Like, here's, here's the promise for blue skies forevermore. Like, that is, it's something that we would all just really like. And if you don't like that, I, something's wrong. You can be healed. But there's this thing where that's just what we would like to have. But sadly, that is not a promise that I have found. I mean, Pastor mentioned this morning that there's over like 7,000 promises in God's word. That's a lot of promises. I thought maybe I missed one. So I went back looking and I found a promise it just wasn't the one I wanted. In Mark chapter 4, it says, um, and so they do it for only a time, when tribulation and persecution arise for the word's sake. That's not really the promise I was hoping for. I wasn't wanting a promise of when trouble comes, when persecution or when tribulation arises. I was really hoping for when you magically avoid all of it because I gave you the, the wand that's sunshine and roses or pockets full of sunshine. I think it was a song years ago. Like, I don't know, you, just, you want it to be this beautiful, easy thing. But this is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus is talking to, to disciples and others and he, and he goes through and he says, there's two guys and the one builds his house and he builds it on a rock. This is the guy who hears what I have to say, who applies what I have to say. And I'm like, okay, this is who I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to be the follower of Jesus who hears his word, gets into his word, applies his word. And I'm like, and here comes sunshine and roses because I applied his word. And then he says this, and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew on that house, but it did not fall. So so there was was not an avoiding of it. In fact, if you read on, (coughs) it goes on, it says that the fool who hears the word, and that's why they give me a water. The fool who hears the word and doesn't apply it, he has the, it says that he has the same wind, the same floods that come against his house, but it falls. And so I looked and said, okay, so the difference wasn't actually in avoiding the storm. But there was something different in the storm. There was something different in them that determined how they weathered the storm. And I began to look, and, and it reminded me of camping. Has anybody ever camped? Some of you guys like camping. Some of you don't like camping. Some of you pretend to camp, but you bring your campers, like bringing a hotel room. You're like... <laughs> I'm camping. I brought the house and the kitchen sink. Literally, I brought a kitchen sink. Like, that's a whole other story. But here's the thing: if you go tent camping, you you might get sunshine and roses. But what happens frequently is you encounter rain or a storm, and it can be really really rough because you got this like great tent, but somehow magically water found its way into your tent. And you wake up and you're like, why is there a puddle? Or you like roll over and discover that the side of the tent was all wet. And all of a sudden you're like, why is my bum when you're done? And it's all like coming through the tent. And all of a sudden a storm, in fact, it wasn't even like the biggest storm, but it can be a big deal. A couple of years ago, I went on a trip with the high school and we did some camping in Muskegon and, and it just happened to decide to just pour while we were there. And it was frustrating Because we were intense. Do you realize that that same storm in my house isn't a big deal? That when that same storm comes at home, we're just like, hey, look, it's raining. And the kids come up and they go, hey, it's raining, Dad. Can we watch a movie? Maybe we'll sit down and cuddle. Maybe we'll play a game. But this storm, it's happening. But it doesn't do much to me. When I'm in the house, it's like, oh, Whatever. We, we, we can hang out, we can play, we're dry. It doesn't mean that, that I took control of all things and that nothing bad ever happened. It just means that inside the storm, inside the storm, inside the house, that storm isn't going to shake me. So I begin to look at this going, okay, if the Bible doesn't teach an akuna, akuna matata philosophy, it means no worries for the rest of my days, problem-free philosophy. If it doesn't teach me this, then what do I do when the storms come? How do I become impervious to the storm? How can I stand strong? And so I began to kind of ponder this and I I looked at three different people throughout our Bible who encountered some crazy, crazy storms, some crazy times. And I want to look at these three different situations and what they did because I think that what they did applies to each of us. So first off, There was a guy named Elisha. You can find this story in 2 Kings chapter six. But Elisha is having an awesome time. So God is using him. He's the prophet in the land of Israel. And there is an enemy king. And this enemy king's like, I'm going to attack from Syria. He's like, I'm going to attack Israel. And here's where, here how he plans that with his generals. And way far away, Elisha gets gets a word from the Lord that says, this is what the king is doing. This is where he's setting up a trap. This is what he's going to do. And so Elisha sends word to the king and goes, all right, this is what the the other king is going to do. Be ready. And so they're ready and the the king of Syria's plans fail. And then he plans again and it fails. He plans again and it fails. And then finally he's like, guys, there is somebody who's a rat in here. Like who is telling the king of Israel what we're doing? Because he knows everything. And one of their guys is like, it's none of us. It's Elisha their prophet. Apparently Israel had a rat who was telling them, but um, he's going, it goes through and he's like, hey, he tells the king the words that you say in your bedroom. And the king of Assyria is like, okay, this ain't okay. And so Elisha has been having this like, great, I am super important. I'm the man. God's using me in a great way. And all of a sudden this king goes, you're a big problem. I'm going to get rid of you. And so in Second Kings chapter 6, verse 14. He says, he sent their horses, chariots, and a great army that came at night and surrounded the city. So he's been having this, like, awesome time. Like, I'm doing, you know, God's using me. This is great. And all of a sudden, he is surrounded by people who want him to uh, cease and assist life. And so this is a problem. And, he, and he's, his servant gets up in the morning. His servant comes out, you know, they don't have running water at this point in time, so I'm guessing he's going to go out and get a pail of water or whatever. And he like walks out all tired, and all of a sudden he looks. And he looks. You ever like, see that where their eyes just go like this, and they just keep getting bigger? I just picture him just like, eyes just whooom. And he just sees an army surrounding the city, and he's just looking, and it's just a massive army. It says a great army. I don't know how many people are in it, but it's a great army. And he's just looking, and he's just going. And I'm, I know that his heart rate began to rise, because this is what he says. He says, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And I I read it with panic. I hear it with panic when I read it. I, I, I can't imagine him saying it in any other way. Which means when his heart rate began to rise, it would have risen enough that your vision begins to get more, like it goes from wide all of a sudden to just like, what's going on right there? And he is freaking out. But you know what Elisha does? Hey, what's up? Do you see that they're surrounding us? We're gonna die! Like, I don't know if you ever, have you ever encountered one of those people? They're like, did you see the news? We're all gonna die! This is the new thing that happened! It's the virus! It's the shutdown! It's the something! You're gonna, like, they just freak out. And no matter what side of the aisle they, whoever they voted for, they find a new reason to freak out. And so they're freaking out, they're trying to get you to freak out, and they're like, you're all gonna die. And he just looks at him, and he doesn't go, oh no, you're right! There's a ton of them and they're everywhere! What are we going to do? Quick, I dug a tunnel. I was prepared for this. I was a prepper. Like, like this is not his, his response. His response was calm. And he goes, oh, don't be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed, oh, Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of the horses and the chariots of fire all around Elisha. And I looked, and I'm like, okay, so this is crazy. God was there, but he was clueless. Right? Like, there's an army surrounding him, and all that he could see was the problem and the danger that surrounded him that was there to take him out. And he was freaking out, but Elisha's like, no, you, your, your eyes are just on the wrong thing. God, just open up his eyes. Let him see what I'm already seeing. Let him see that you're here. And what's crazy is it doesn't even say whether or not Elisha saw them. But he knew. He just goes, open his eyes. Because Elijah had, Elisha, excuse me, had faith, he knew, and it doesn't say he didn't see, doesn't say he did see, but he just says, open his eyes, that he may see. And so, so we go through this, and he opens his eyes, and he looks, and all of a sudden, his position begins to change. But do you realize that right away, their circumstances hadn't changed? There was still an army surrounding them. Then now he's aware that God is there with them, and the army begins to come in. So the army now is like, they waited for morning, and now they have them surrounded, they have them trapped, they're going to come in. And Elisha just calmly, it says in chapter, or 6 still, verse 18, When the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, please strike this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. So I'm like, this is crazy. You have this this army, you have the servant who's freaking out because we're going to die, finds out that God's there. They still come to attack. Then he prayed and God answered their prayer and delivered them. And then it's a, a crazy deal. He then leads them off and delivers them all to the king of Israel. Um, so I looked at this and I'm like, okay, this is amazing. And there's some lessons, and we're going to come back because there's a bunch of things they have in common with the next story. So the next one Hezekiah, king of Judah, um, he, he's there, and an army comes against him, and it's going to be a big army a really big army that's, that's coming and they show up and this is the response. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or dismayed for the king of Assyria and all the horde that is with him for there, is, there are more with us than with him. And I looked at that and I'm like, for there are more with us than with him. I'm like, that's the same thing that was said before. Uh, with him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God. He didn't, he didn't say, Open my eyes and let me see the angels that are surrounding us. He just said, With him is an arm of flesh, with us is um, God who helps us fight our battles. And I it just, it blew me away that he has this same thing. So I'm like, okay, so he ends up in this surrounded, he ends up again with, with a situation that is way bigger than what he can handle. And his response was the same, was to go, oh, don't worry, don't worry just because this is bigger than me. Don't worry just because this is out of my control because this is the circumstances around me, but my God is with me and my God is bigger than my circumstances. And he stands on this. He tells the people around him, this is what we stand on, don't you be afraid because we have a God. And he goes through, and then in verse twenty, he does something. Then Hezekiah, king, and Isaiah, the prophet, the son of Amaz, prayed because of this and cried to heaven. Verse twenty-one, and the Lord sent an angel who cut off the mighty warriors and the commanders of the officers in the army of the camp of Assyria. So again, there are circumstances way beyond their control. There is an enemy. There is a storm that wants to take them out. And again, the response is, don't be afraid. For there is more with us than with them. Greater is he who's in me than he who's in the world. Wait, that, that verse comes later. But it's the same principle, but that's a promise to you. This is greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world. And I begin to look at this and go, okay, so these guys... They they called out to God, and when they took their eyes from the storm, when they took their eyes from the battle, when they took their eyes from the opposition, and when they fixed it on God, they saw something different. And all of a sudden, the storm began to lose its power over them. In Isaiah 26, verse 3, it says, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. That's the same Isaiah who was praying with Hezekiah. It's the same one. He says, no, if you set your eyes on God, you can have peace even when there's an army surrounding you, even when there's crazy viruses around, even when there's crazy policies, even when sales aren't coming like they're supposed to, even when things are rough and you're not sure what's going to happen next. He goes, you can put your faith in God and trust in him. In Philippians 4, 6, it says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses understanding will guard your heart. And he goes through this over and over, and we we catch this, this pattern of when things are crazy. He goes, you need to look to God. And both these guys, they looked to God. They cried out to God after they set their eyes on God, and they saw something happen. So there's another one, and this this will be our this one's fun. A lot of you guys may be familiar with this one. Peter is with the rest of the disciples. He's one of Jesus' disciples. They're on a boat in the middle of a storm. And there is a massive storm, and they are freaking out. And normally, throughout the Gospels, we find the disciples. We also find Jesus. Jesus is normally with them. But this time, he told them, hey, guys, go ahead. I'll catch up. And so they're going across, but they are without Jesus. They left Jesus, which is kind of weird to say. But it was at his command. They, so they're going across. Storm's there. Well, Jesus decides he wants to get across the lake and just starts walking on the water, which is awesome. Anyways, so he's walking across the water. They're in the storm and they're freaking out because it's a massive storm. And then while they're, while they're freaking out, they look out and they see what looks like somebody walking on the water. Now that is strange. I have never watched someone just like walk across the water, unless it was frozen. That's different. But you, you picture this, and I have heard someone say that there was a uh, folklore tradition that there was a spirit that would walk, come across the water to like um, uh, guys that sail. There's a fancy name for it, but my mind just like sailors. Um, when, uh, bef- before if they were going to die, it was like the, the thing. So maybe they were, they were going, hey, is this death coming to get us or is this, is this Jesus? And they're, not, they're, they're freaking out between seeing him on the water, seeing the storm, but Peter fixes his eyes on Jesus. And Jesus is like, they're all freaking out. He's like, don't freak out. It's me. It's Jesus. And so Peter's like, oh, okay. If it's really you, call me to come out to you. Now, this is a crazy thing in the story. It's a storm. Like, I think the logical thing is Jesus, come get in the boat. His response, forget the boat. If I can be with you, I'm safe. And like, I'm like, that's, that's pretty cool. That's a a pretty big faith statement that you have more faith in in Jesus than in your boat. You've got more faith that walking with him is safer than in the boat. So Jesus is like, well, it's me, so come on out. And Peter gets out. And if you want to read this, this is Matthew chapter, or no, yeah, Matthew chapter 14, uh, verse 27 through 32. And so he gets out on the water and then he starts to walk towards Jesus. And then it says something strange. But, so he's walking on the water, but when he saw the wind he was afraid and began to sink. Because walking on water is impossible when it's windy. (laughs) It was already impossible. If you're already walking on the water, what difference does it make? I don't know. Maybe he was afraid that if the water was hard enough for him to walk, it'd be hard when it hit him. Like, I don't know, but he took his eyes off of Jesus and he began to look at the storm around him and all of a sudden where there had been peace because he he had more faith in walking out to Jesus than staying in the boat. But now when he's in the middle of this, he took his eyes off Jesus and he looked at the storm and all of a sudden the storm gained control over him because he fixed his eyes on the storm that surrounded him rather than on the Jesus who called him. And I begin to look, and I go, okay, so, so he took his eyes off, and then he began to sink, and then what happens? He cried out to God. He cried out to Jesus, and Jesus saved him. But I begin to think, and I begin to look, and I go, you know what? I think like Peter, a lot of times we know I'm supposed to fix my eyes on Jesus, but it's still hard. See, it's easy when someone just says, fix your eyes on Jesus. You're like, yep, I learned that one in Sunday school. I got that. And you're like, I I got this. And then all of a sudden the bills keep coming and the money ran out. And you're like, okay, it's really hard not to look at these bills because I don't know how I'm going to pay them. Or you go through and you're like, you know what? The doctor's report was not what I was believing for. So now what? It's really hard not to focus on the black and white that they just handed me. It's really hard when the monies are gone or the work is gone and money's still needed. It's really hard when tensions are high and answers are nowhere to be found. It's really hard when you're in the middle of some of these not to get focused on them. But when he focused on the problems, the problems gained control over him. But when he focused on God, there was hope. When he focused on God, there was an answer. But when they, when they all were in this, they cried out to God. And, I, and I, I know that this is hard. I have been in this when it's hard. I remember a couple of years ago, Middle of the night, my son comes upstairs sounding like a dying seal. <laughs> like I can't even do it. It was like this like wretched cough thing. And he's like, I, I, I can't breathe. And you're like, this is so like run in the kitchen, grab him a drink of water, try to wash down whatever it is, take him into the bathroom, turn on the shower, turn it on fully hot, and then sit with him and pray with him, give him water and this, and it is not getting better. And I was praying and it's not getting better. I was praying and it was not getting better. And it is hard when you're holding your kid and they can't breathe to look at Jesus. It's hard when your circumstances are ugly. It's hard when it's scary. And I remember praying and going, all right, like this is not getting better. Um, Am I gonna like... Put something on, are we going to go to the hospital right now? And I was just praying, my like, God. And all of a sudden, like what I would like, is you, like you wanted that, like just God, just give me the instant miracle right now, instantly cleared up lungs, cleared up throat. Instead, I got this from God. Give him animal crackers. Like, that's, I'm kind of in the middle of an intense situation here, God. In case you didn't notice. No, I I actually, I didn't talk back to God. He's God. I figure he's smarter than me. So I set my son down and just like set him on the toilet because there's not a lot of seats in the bathroom and then went went out, got some animal crackers and I came back and, and gave him animal crackers. And when he chewed up the animal crackers, the water was just passing over all the phlegm that was stopping his, his breathing but the animal crackers got a hold of the phlegm and pulled it all down they were dry enough we i don't know they were the right thing the science behind it i'll leave up to god god spoke i did it worked like this is, this is, but, but I, when I, I bring this up because I understand it's really easy to theoretically be told in the middle of your storm, you need to look to God. And it's easy to say, yeah, you say that, but you didn't see my storm. You don't understand what I'm going through right now. You don't understand how difficult this is. You don't understand how scary this is. But when we do, we can see something amazing. Now, that was the easy side of the message, okay? um. Most of you guys are not shocked by anything that I said in the first half or whatever, however percentage percentages we are through. But this is where um, I think a lot of us struggle. We picture this as passive. We picture if I'm going to trust God, this just means I'm just going to sit here. And it's up to God to drop all of the answers in my lap. And we're just waiting. But Jesus called us to partner with him. And this is an amazing, and this is a powerful, powerful thing. And this is where I think it's the easiest to miss it, is to just go, I'm just going to see here. And Pastor Duane talked about this recently, about the, the, the man at the bottom of the Mount of Transfiguration who wanted to pass all the responsibility for the healing of his son onto Jesus. And he's like, well, Jesus, you fix them. And Jesus says, if you can believe. And he just wanted to pass it all off on Jesus. But so often, we just try to pass off all of our responsibility. We try to pass things off on Jesus. And God goes, will you partner with me? In fact, in John chapter 14, verse 12, it says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do. Jesus doesn't say, hey, sit around because, you know, this is all just going to happen. No, he goes, are you ready to do some greater works? Are you ready to partner with me? Are you ready to reach the world? Because I am calling you, I'm equipping you, and I am sending you. And we're going to bring peace I'm going to give you peace, but we're going to rock things. The the gates of hell will not prevail against you. It doesn't say that, do you realize that gates are to keep us back? He set us out and said the gates of hell won't prevail against us. And he goes through, and it's this, this partnering with God. In Mark chapter 16, he says, these signs will follow those that believe. And he talks about them praying in new tongues, praying for the sick, seeing them healed, and he goes on. In Matthew 10, it says, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons freely you have received, freely give. In Acts 1.8, it says you will receive power when my Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and in the other most parts of the earth. And this is where I begin to get excited because I discovered that we are called to partner with God. It's not just, oh, God, just take care of things. He goes, get up, stand up. I want you to pray. I want you to partner, and we're going to rock things. We're going to do things. I am your God. I am your rock and your refuge. I am the answer. I am your source. But step out and pray and partner with me, and we're going to see things change. And it's this opportunity that we have, and he goes through, and he he tells us that we are to be his co-workers. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, he says, For we are God's fellow workers. We're gonna partner with him. He says that he made us for good works. He tells us to resist the enemy and that he'll flee from us. He tells us to cast our cares on him. But the end of that, so you go cast your cares on him is verse 7. Verse 9, resist him. So it says resist the devil. And, and, and there's this active role. See, we are called to be partners with God. We are called to bring his kingdom to earth. We are called to look at him in the middle of a storm and go, God, what does your kingdom look like? It doesn't look like that. God, use me. Let me be your hands and feet. Let me bring <clears throat> peace to the world. Let me be an agent of change right now. God, I want to see you have your way in my life, but I want to see you have your way in the lives of those around me. God, see, if you look at all three of the circumstances that we looked at, there was somebody who looked at God and had peace and they brought peace to somebody else. See, Elisha didn't look at the servant and just go, ha ha, you're freaking out. No, he, he goes, no, no, no. We have, we have hope, we have an answer. This is who it is. God opened his eyes. Hezekiah said to the people, hey, the one who's with us is greater. Don't fear. He goes through and he prayed. When Peter was walking on the water and he freaked out, Jesus picked him up. And I looked in all of these and go, well, well, not only did God bring peace, but they were supposed to carry peace. They were supposed to deliver peace. And how do, I, how do I carry his peace? Because I am his ambassador. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 says that we, not just me, but we as, as followers of Jesus are his ambassadors to the world and we are supposed to carry his presence. We are supposed to carry his peace into a world that desperately needs hope right now. They need to see a hope in us. They need to see something different. They need to see a hope and they need to see a love. They are filled with people that are bashing each other. They don't need more bashing. They don't need more hatred. They need somebody with love and with hope that's going to enter their world and show them something different. And and Pastor said it awesome this morning. He said, Bible, Bible, in my hand, tell me who I really am. Are you ready? I am a child of God. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm filled with the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. My prayers are powerful and effective. Greater is the one who's in me than he is in the world. I resist the devil and he flees from me. By his stripes I am healed. I pray for the sick and they recover. My God is my provider. I have been bought with a price and my life is no longer my own. I'm redeemed from the curse. I am filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit and I am more than a conqueror. And we go through this and we go, well, this is who I am. So I'm going to bring this to where I go. I'm going to take this to the world and I'm going to carry his light, life and hope to this world. And it's what we're called to do. And we do that when we pray. We get to partner with God and go, God, all of these guys, they looked at God and said, you are my hope. And then they prayed. We are going to bring hope and we are called to pray. We are called to pray and to go, not just to pray for ourselves, but to go, hey, how can I pray for you? It's amazing. I have people <clears throat> that, that, that are scared to pray for people. Do you realize that people who don't believe in prayer still appreciate it when you ask if you can pray for them? I know of one person who, does, who like gets mad when people ask them to pray, and that's because of abuse that happened in their life. Almost everybody. You, and I, I've tested this. I've been at the grocery store. The checkout clerk's like, oh, my wrist hurts, my back hurts, this hurts, I have a headache. I'm checking out. Hey, can I pray for you? And they're all like, what? Yeah, can I pray for you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right, I'm gonna pray, right? What, now? Yeah. (laughs) And afterwards, they're like, thanks. Regardless of whether they see instant transformation on things, they're like, dude, you you cared. And you believed it enough to do something. What do you got? And we all wanna like stand here and go, but what if something doesn't happen? What if it does? But do you realize that you're stepping out can still touch somebody? And it's this this powerful thing where I get to stand with God, I get to partner with him. And I I realize that when I go through this list, when I get excited, I I tend to get a little bit uh, excited on things. And, And people can look at me and they're like, well, that's great for you. God wants to use you. And all the time people are like, yeah, no. God could use you you grew up this way. God could use you, and they list off their reasons of why God could use me, or they list off their reasons why God couldn't use them. Pastor Dwayne mentioned this morning both Gideon and Moses, two different guys from the Old Testament. If you're, if you're not familiar with them, they've got cool stories that we can't get into right now, but there's one part of their story that you need to know. God called them, and they both said, who? Me? They both had the same response, and God had the same response for both of them. They're like, but I am the weakest, says Gideon. He's like, I am the weakest of all. And Moses says, but I can't even talk very good. And they had all their different excuses. And they go, you want to use me for something great? I couldn't possibly be the one. And God, what just amazed me is God could have sit there and said, you're wrong about you. Here's what, here's how, here's why. But that's not what God did. God just said this, I will be with you. It doesn't matter if you can't speak very good. It doesn't matter if you think you're the weakest. I'll be with you. And if you'll fix your eyes on me, I am more than enough. And that's what they did with Elisha. Greater is he who's with us than he who's against us. There are more with us than there are with him. And that's what we get to do. We say, greater is he who's in me than he who's in the world. And we go, I can stand and I can pray. And it's a powerful, powerful thing in in Acts Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, when God made the world, he said, let us make man and let him have dominion over the earth. God set something up where he partnered with people in in what he was going to do on the earth. And when we pray, we get to partner with God to see his will done on the earth. And it's a powerful, powerful thing. And he sits here and he says, hey, I am commissioning you. When Jesus went back up, he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go there for And we have been commissioned to see God's kingdom on the earth as it is in heaven. It's amazing and a powerful thing. And I wanted to make sure I left time for something. So here's what we're gonna do. Uh, First off, if you don't know my Jesus, you are missing out. My Jesus is awesome. And I would not wanna go through the storm without him. That's a tent I would not want to be in. And I wanna give an opportunity for those who don't know my Jesus. Then, once they know Jesus, we all are going to get to have an opportunity to bring and carry the hope and the power of Jesus. And you're going to pray for somebody. It's going to be great. We'll get to that in just a moment. So we're giving an altar call, but we're not done. Done. Okay, so If you don't know my Jesus and you want to know my Jesus, you want the God who brings hope, who brings forgiveness, who brings healing, and you want to know that you're right with him and on your way to heaven, I'm going to give you a chance in just a moment. Can everyone bow their heads, close their eyes? If you're online, you don't have to close your eyes. You're the only one there. So um, if you say, that's me, I want to know your Jesus. I want him to be my Jesus. I want to know that my sins are forgiven, that I'm right with God on my way to heaven. When I say three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. One, two, three three. See, that's me. I want to know that Jesus. I want him in my life. I want to put my hope and my trust in him. Awesome. Who else says that's me? Most important decision that anybody's ever going to make. Awesome. So let's say a simple prayer. I'm going to invite you to repeat after me. Say, God, thank you for loving me, for forgiving me. I'm sorry for the wrong things I've done. I believe that you died and rose again. Thank you. I choose to follow you from this day forward. I declare that you are my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.